Hi, my name is Hero Bean Stevenson, and you're listening to the All of Us podcast, where we explore and embrace mental health through the simple act of honest conversation. Before we get into it, I'd like to mention that in sharing my personal experiences and insights, I do not claim to be an authority or expert on any of the issues that might come up in the discussion you're about to hear. These conversations include in-depth discussion around various mental health-related topics, the details of which may be triggering to some. So please take care while listening. Finally, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Before we begin, I'd also like to take a moment to thank and talk about BetterHelp, our first sponsor for the podcast. To be honest, I can't remember the first time that I went to therapy. What I do know is that since I was a little girl, it has been a consistent presence in my life, something that through my worst and best moments, I've been able to count on to provide me with support, guidance, and the feeling of being heard and understood. It's been an absolutely invaluable resource for me, and one that I believe everyone deserves access to, which is why I'm so excited to be partnering with BetterHelp as the very first official sponsor of this podcast. BetterHelp is an online resource that makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so that anyone struggling with facing life's many obstacles or anyone who simply needs a space to be heard can get the support that they deserve anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp offers access to licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, and board-licensed professional counselors so that you can use BetterHelp with the comfort of knowing that your mental health is in highly vetted and trustworthy hands. Visit www.betterhelp.com slash allofus to receive 10% off your first month of counseling. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 36 of the All of Us podcast. It's Monday, March 14th, and I'm here in beautiful New York City where today's story takes place. It's pretty cold outside. Um, Yesterday was, actually it was two days ago now, there was this crazy one-day snowstorm that was supposed to be, I think, much bigger than it ended up being, but coming from LA, it was very exciting for me to experience. But today's a nice day. The sun's out and I'm grateful to be here with friends and just experiencing different energy. So just to preface to today's episode, our guest's experience um, deals with human trafficking. So If you know that this is something that you're not in a place to hear about right now, or if at any point during the episode you feel that it's too much for you, I really urge you to take care and do what's right for yourself. I would also like to ask that you please respect Elle's privacy after listening to the episode. As you'll come to find, she's absolutely an incredible human being and such an infectious personality, and it may be tempting to want to reach out to her on Instagram or wherever you may find her, but as strong as she's been in opening up about her experience, receiving messages about it can be a re-triggering reminder that she just doesn't need. So please be mindful of that after you listen. 
I first came to know about Elle last summer when she wrote about her experience for Adua Aboa's female mental health platform, Girls Talk. And I was just so sort of shocked and um, just I couldn't believe her experience, but also her ability to um, open up and be honest about what had happened to her and it was just um i knew that i i needed to try to talk to her because um i was just so in awe and i couldn't believe that she was willing to come on the podcast and share about her experience with the all of us community and um i'm just so so grateful to to Elle and and the strength that she has in opening up about her experience that i think is one that is very important for all of us to know um, is very real and can happen to anyone. Elle moved to New York from Mississippi when she was 17 to pursue a career in modeling. And almost two years into being here, her story took a shocking and devastating turn when she was lured and trapped into the world of sex slavery. Um, I'll let Elle tell the rest from here. This is her story. Here's Elle Dawson. So you're in New York right now? I am. So you might hear some unexpected noises and things. <laughs> what are you doing but, in New York? Uh, I'm here for work. I just got here. Oh, okay. Saturday nice. I'm here for, I think, like five months. Okay. Got it. How is it right now? I heard it's freezing. I mean, obviously, it's January so, in New York, freezing. Yeah, today it was 50, so not bad, but it's going to be like Whenever I landed, it was five degrees. Um, so. Yep. That like bone, the bone chilling cold. It never gets old. Really, the few times that I've landed, but I remember when I lived there and I went, it was like the first time that I had been living there in the winter and I had like come home. And when I left, it was like the end of November or maybe early December. And I remember like spending some weeks for winter break in the sun and then going back. And I will never forget the sensation of like exiting JFK and feeling the level of cold. It's like not, it's upsetting on like a very deep level. <laughs> it was me whenever we, whenever I landed, the flight attendant was like, hello, welcome to New York. The current temperature is five degrees. And yes, that's in Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely so upsetting. So you live, you live in LA now. How long have you been in LA? So I was in New York for five years. Um, I've been in LA for four and it's looking like I'm coming back here. So really, yeah, I think it's actually a good part of the, the conversation to come because it's very, it's very um, something, you know, it's one of those things. I actually just wrote about this. It's like, you come and your like head is above it, your emotions are above it, but sometimes your body still still just like reacts in ways that like to like protect itself. Like yeah. carrying tension and I'm like, oh my God, like what is that? But yeah. I, it's taken me, I've been coming regularly for a year before now coming back and I am really sort of like in this space where I feel excited to kind of like take something back that was taken from me. Completely. Yeah. And like, 
jumping back into it and kind of being like, you know what, this was the, this was the thing, you know? And do see- you feel ready to do that at this point? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think I just recently finished my novel. So being able to take such a massive step back and taking control of my story by creating it into something that's beautiful made me feel like I had enough control to be able to step back into the space in a clean slate because the story is out, you know? Totally. So it's, you finished a novel. So is it fiction what you wrote? It's an autobiography. It's an autobiography. Got it. Got it. it. Okay. I can only imagine. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So I can't, yeah, it's, so your story, yeah, as, um, no, like, you know, but I haven't, like, shared, obviously, on the podcast. I came across your story through Girls Talk, which is Adua Boa's platform, sort of, like, women's mental health platform. Um, Obviously, I didn't really know many of the details of it but I just was I got the gist of what 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 you had gone through and it was just so sort of jarring to me I had never really it's interesting and it sounds kind of like awful to say this but I think a lot of the time when you hear about something like what you went through you kind of go like I know that happens in the world and like how heartbreaking but it wouldn't like you it's you kind of disassociate the reality of it being able to happen to someone quote unquote like you like within your like circle do you know what I mean and so when I first read your story I was just like what like I couldn't believe it at all and I'm sure you probably have a similar before the whole thing um before you everything happened I'm sure you kind of felt a similar thing and now are kind of on the other side of of all of it I think even during it's sort of like a disassociative blur and you kind of like go through these phases where you're like, this can't be happening. Like this isn't reality. And it's easy and took a lot of deprogramming in that way where I kind of had to like reintegrate myself back into reality, literally. Um, So I'll go ahead and get the hard part out of the way and just like share Mm -hmm. my story and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of blanket statement it because it's, it's easier. And, you know, I've done that work there. Um, so basically long story short, I moved to New York from Mississippi when I was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved here for modeling. I in Mississippi was not in the best place. I was in abusive relationships and like, finally I had found this thing that made me feel like I had a purpose, which was modeling. And a couple of years passed. I mean, the first couple, like my first year, whenever I moved here, I was sitting on the streets, did all of that, like started kind of like really low already, but finally got myself to a place where I was like, okay, this is kind of sustainable. I had a job, I had this. And basically I got introduced to a very well-known powerful man and he was just, I actually got introduced to him through an agent. And once I met this person, uh, they, like the agent disappeared. And this guy came into my life and was like, oh, I wanna like introduce you to casting directors and I'll get you the jobs and I'll do this and like do that. And like, you can come to parties, whatever. And I was like, okay, great, sounds great. And 
I did that for about a year and built a lot of trust in this person. And I would often go to parties and like, he wouldn't really acknowledge me or talk to me, which actually made me feel better because I felt I had like this really big false illusion of being free and like Mm. being able to have like great opportunity and being able to like navigate this world and have opportunity. And then one day he told me to meet him at a party that it was exclusive to not share the address um, because it was like highly exclusive, et cetera. So I didn't. And he was like, make sure to wear something distinct, like, yada yada because every time that I would go he kind of always made me feel that I wasn't enough and mm-hmm. that the way that I dressed wasn't enough it was it didn't meet these people's standards and this and that because I've always kind of been like an eccentric character so I made sure to like explain what I was wearing like oh like I'm wearing this um I show up I'm waiting for him my number gets blocked Um, I kind of just assumed that maybe this person's phone had died or, you know, it's New York, maybe it was underground. I don't know. And uh, these three guys come out and they're like, hey, like, were you here for so-and-so? I uh, like, he's not able to make it, but like, we're, we're happy to have you and like, want you to have fun, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, okay, I'm all dressed up. I don't have a lot of friends. Might as well, you know? So I go in, I dance a little, go to the bathroom and remember having this really distinct moment where I was like, this is the New York dream. You know, like I'm living it, I'm 21. I can get like, I'm having fun. I feel sexy. I feel like in my body. And Mm -hmm. I came out of the bathroom and that somebody grabbed my shoulder and I looked back and it was him. And I was like, Oh, cool. And then I felt a gun on my back and his other friends came and they were like really close. So they're like here so that nobody can see the gun. His friends come to the side of me to like block it. And then I basically am escorted out by them and locked in an apartment for two weeks was forced to like call my parents, tell them like, oh, everything's fine. Like, don't worry about me. Like, you know, and just kind of checking in. And then one day they told me to follow them and I just knew like, fuck, you know, like something else is about to happen. And basically for a year, I was put into different hotels around the city and raped and beaten like 10 to 20 times a day for a year, you know? And I think that something I write about in my book is like the hardest part is a, there's a point where you have this feeling that you want to kill them. So then you kind of feel like, well, now I, like this situation has made me the bad person because I'm having these thoughts. And then there's also this point where you start to convince yourself that there must be love in these people, (laughs) you know, like there has to be like something inside of them that like is lovable because you don't want to see it anymore. And basically 
the only way that I got out is somebody that came just believed in me after granted after they already kind of like took away what they wanted from me they believed in me and randomly like somehow got me out I don't know if they made a deal with whoever or like paid off somebody to be like this person can't like can't do this you know and he told me to get like to find an apartment I found an apartment he was like make sure like you don't tell anybody the address like just me and I'm like okay can do that and it was still it was the the main this your this person yeah it was the person okay. so anyways ended up he co-signed for me I couldn't pay my rent. I squatted for nine months, went to housing court, kind of like laid out the baseline for them and was able to get out of that and then put my stuff in storage and left to LA. Mm. And in LA is where I started like all of my deep healing, you know? Yeah. Which was hard in itself, but has kind of like gotten me back to this place where now like I'm in New York again. (laughs) Right. And it's come so full circle that like, it's crazy to have enough resilience to be able to step into the space and be like, I can do this again, you know? Yes. Well, I'm totally speechless at just everything that you've shared. Thank you so much for being open with, with me and, and being willing to share. I think it's so incredibly profound the way that you're able to so honestly speak about your experience um it's just unbelievable um it's unbelievable and I I think I I definitely would like to focus more so on just your own personal journey with everything and your mental health and and how how that process was for you rather than sort of like anything else the details of everything I want to know when you were in the thick of this, when you first sort of found yourself in essentially captivity, what did your mental process, when did it, what I, I'm curious what your mental process was like when that hit you? Because obviously I'm sure at first it seemed kind of unbelievable. I'm sure you were just like, this can't, this is not like something that's going to continue on for more than like a horrific night or two. When did it sort of settle in that this was like an extremely dangerous, potentially long-term situation? And how did you react to that internally? I don't think that that realization came until after I was out. Um, I wow. think the brain works in magical ways. You know, um, I think that, I think that once I, once I was being walked out of the club, like I, you just kind of know, like, this isn't going to end well. (laughs) Like, and I think that I've always been a really resilient person. Like this isn't my first experience with abuse or like sort of really hard life situations. And I think that in, (sighs) this is dark, but in that moment, you, you, you sort of find this greater sense of like surrender Mm. where 
you you have no choice but to just be like this is what's happening this is my reality um what like what else can I do you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I think that yeah I think I just kind of like didn't even begin to process anything because there was no point and I also like it's also one of those things where I realized like what's the worst case scenario I die which is also the best case scenario in a place like that you know Mm -hmm. I mean I can't imagine but so on a on a sort of a dick when you were in that place of captivity and not able to like you were being completely controlled um and couldn't leave what were sort of your the kind of keep like thoughts and feelings that would sort of inhabit your body as the days would pass so many magical thoughts so many like I like I think that it's still I mean I still think so magically but I also thought magically as a kid so I think that 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 really came out um it came out in a way of like like oh every time I would like cross a power line being like oh if I put my energy into this thing that like circulates around the city maybe something will like manifest me out of this right I can't say that that didn't work you know what does magical thinking mean to you magical thinking to me is it's not quite praying because I in that in those moments you find yourself having to be in control of something Mm -hmm. and so it's like okay if I if I go and like knock on this three times like that means this to me or like okay that to me you know or like okay if I drink water I'm purifying myself or like whenever I would eat I would be like okay you have to like shift the molecules in the food to like you know and it's everything like you it starts to rain and you're like oh thank god like something is possibly like releasing or you know it's almost like spiritual in a sense definitely and that's like at times now it's given me such a powerful way of thinking and like a powerful, powerful perspective that like, I, I can hardly be bitter. Hmm. So we're, I'm just, I can't even, it's so much. It's so, it's so heavy and it's so, I can't, I'm just so in awe of you as a human being. I can't even begin to imagine just all of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Did, so then after sort of everything, how long from when you found yourself in that situation to when you essentially were free, how long of a process was that? Or how long of a, of a time period was that? What happened is eventually at some point, I think it was like after maybe like two or three months, once, once these people realized like, oh, this person isn't going to like can't, like if they they would say like, oh, if you say anything, like you'll die. If you try to escape from us, we'll find you, we'll kill you. Okay. And they let me go back to the apartment that I was living in. Mm -hmm. And 
segue back into normal life. And I think that was actually probably the hardest transition was because like I was freelance modeling at the time and I would get castings and I would have to show up to castings and be like, how do I show up in this space fully embodied mm-hmm. when I'm sorry, I'm going to cry, but <laughs> when my it's like disseminated across the entire city, you know? And I think that like, there is, it's already such a hard industry that like going into a space like that and kind of just being like, having to reframe it as like, this is the thing. Like, this is the thing for me, you know? Mm -hmm. This is the thing that regardless of what, what happened I'm still doing it this is what I intended to do and this is what I'm still going to do and I'm going to show up and I'm going to as desperately as I need it as desperately as I need the job I am entirely surrendered to everything (laughs) you know yeah yeah well I'm sure because it is such a a superficial industry and and there is so much and it's it's surrounds so much around um or it's focused so much on like your your body and the way it looks and your body is like your i don't like your main like asset in the in the industry that you're in and i think that that can sort of lead everyone in that industry to kind of think so sort of superficially about their bodies when really you seem to have such a beautiful spiritual holistic connection to your body and I'm sure going through something where your physical being is in danger all the time I can't imagine how that impacted your mindset when you went into situations where you had casting directors looking you up and down and deciding yes or no when then you had to go back and that was it just it must have put so much in perspective for you but in such a dark but very real way How were you able to kind of enter those like superficial situations that they were judging the very thing that was constantly like putting your life in in danger every day? I appreciate you understanding like that perspective already without me having to explain that because it was definitely exactly that. Um, I think that at some point it comes down to like, like I was able to make a quick shift to be like, this is me reclaiming my body. Mm. This mm-hmm. is me walking into a space where every single time I come here, all they see is a clean slate. All they see is a clean slate. And I think that, I mean, obviously like during that time, I like, I did have like eating disorders and like all like body dysmorphia, extreme body dysmorphia, extreme like, face dysmorphia like and I remember this is quite heavy too is I remember there is this photo that I posted on my old Instagram before I got hacked which is annoying it's a picture of I was like it was right whenever I became free I was walking down the street and there was this styrofoam head posted on the like like, um fence of somebody's and Mm -hmm across it 
its mouth was taped and it just had the words written free. Wow. It was hard because in those times you're like, this is a sign, like this is a sign, this is exactly what's happening, you know? But then Mm -hmm. there's also that part where you're like, fuck, are they following me? Right, right, of course. Like, did they put that there? I don't know. But I think that as I've transitioned and I, I, I did extensive healing with eating disorder therapy and being able to like process all of this stuff and process my story and talk about it, which gave me this extra degree of accountability where if anything were to ever happen, people know. <laughs> like my right, agents, right. agents now know and they, they honor that and they protect that and they do everything that they possibly can to make sure I'm comfortable. And me being able to reclaim my body has been me being able to show up as an athlete for myself. Mm. So when I go to the gym, I'm like, this is everything. Wow. I'm alive. You know, I'm alive. (laughs) Like I can't. And I think that's kind of, it's really interesting because whenever I went to LA and I started modeling again, it took me a couple of years, but I started modeling again. And the sort of thing that people would always point out was my smile. Mm. And like, that's actually the name of my novel whenever it comes out is called Behind a Smile because now whenever anybody smiles at me, you know, like, you know, there's a like so much behind it. Like you don't, you don't know what this person has been through or like what, what they hold on to in order to be able to just like smile and how hard it is sometimes, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's like making all the hairs on my arms stand up and you have the most radiant, beautiful smile ever, like <laughs> I've ever seen. It's, it's magical. I can't, it's just so, it's so beautiful where you are and, and just hearing you talk about the like deep reverence for your body and your whole being that you have is just like it's absolutely amazing I'm so amazed by you it's it's incredible I think it really helped that I was raised a dancer Mm. so I always had my body as the thing that I explored and I think that knowing how to and that's kind of the great thing about modeling too is I can go the full spectrum of feelings yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I can go there but it's interesting because at that time whenever I was trying to do tests and stuff it's wild because I look older than, mm. than I do now and I think that says so much about like if you let something sit on your shoulder and weigh you down instead of flipping the switch and just getting it off, like pushing it off, like let it go, it will eat you alive. Yeah. Yeah. It ultimately is your choice. It ultimately is your choice and it's fucking hard. (laughs) Yeah. What, when you first, like after you walked out, you saw the, crazy almost like sign from the universe that mannequin had and you were like walking into your new life essentially what were the 
first sensations that you had, like what emotions kind of came over you. And I'm really curious also to know what surprised you the most, like which of those surprised you the most, if any. I think, um, that's a good question. I think that coming out of it, you, I wanted it to be a release. Mm-hmm. I did, I wanted it to be a release and I probably like created some sort of release for myself. But I think um, ultimately it was logistics because I had like an opportunity opportunity to segue into something you know and I think it's 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 kind of hard because I was I couldn't go emotional which is my gift is like empathy and being able to feel things and like go there and I couldn't at that time because I was like okay what can I do next what can I like literally what can I do not how do I feel and I mean, it's fighter, it's fight or flight from that point. And I think the thing that was hardest for me to work through was having normal conversations without telling people this is what is happening. <laughs> like being able to be like people asking me like, hey, how's it going? And having to be like, I'm great. How are you? Oh my God. I can't even imagine having like a, like even when nothing eventful on like at all has happened, having someone go like, Oh, what's new. And you're like, Oh my God. I can't imagine. The interesting how that was whenever I first started coming back to New York, I went public with my story, I guess maybe two years ago, initially it was like, and how long after it happened was that? Two years. So it was like two, okay. two years out, two years till now. Ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's kind of balanced. It's, I mean, it makes sense. Um, but after, um, yeah, I guess me coming forward was a huge part of my healing process. But then like what happened is, is once I started coming back here, which was about a year after I came forward, started coming back like two to three times a month. And it's so interesting that I had so many acquaintances that I never had the opportunity to develop friendships with Mm. that are now in my life again and are like, they were like, I had no clue why you disappeared from our lives. Yeah. And it's so interesting because like I, I did. I did. And coming back into it and being able to see that, like, these people who didn't know me then really, like, I now am in a place where I can actually get, like, allow them to know me. (laughs) Right, of course. And are you, do you feel, obviously, you said that you have some kind of apprehension with, like, when you first sort of came out and then, like, how to have a normal conversation of like sharing this as a part of your story do you feel still sort of apprehensive to to talk about it or do you have like like shame around it or are you like how does it what is it what role does it play for you now kind of on a day-to-day 
basis in terms of like your relationships with people I think the frustrating thing is is like typically it is something I just have to get out of the way Mm, because it's such a a part of me that um I think the thing like I don't usually go into it on set just because uh people like to ask a lot of questions and I won't go there um if somebody has heard my story and they bring it up then like obviously I'll go there but I think the thing that's really frustrating for me is that and it it should be this way, but it also shouldn't, is that when I talk about it, it has such a shock value that it makes me insecure. To you know? other people. Yeah. Okay. You know, where it's like, if somebody tells you like, oh, like, oh, like I, I was in an abusive relationship, like you're able to be like, okay, I'm sorry, like, I'm really sorry that that happened to you, but it's almost like so normal that it doesn't have this like, <gasps> like, Right. I just feel like every single time I say it, it like shifts people's perspective of me when it shouldn't, <laughs> you know, like why, yeah. why yeah. does me being vulnerable and like sharing that have to ultimately like make somebody see me different <laughs> instead of being like, wow, this person's like fully embodied and like, I don't know. Did, did it do that to you at first though? Like, did you almost have a shifted perspective of yourself? Cause you obviously are someone that has a very deep understanding of yourself and a very connected relationship with yourself, which is incredible. And a lot of people don't have that. Um, It's an amazing sort of very introspective way of being. And I'm wondering if for you, you, with your relationship with yourself, like, did you have that kind of shock factor, like recalibrating of your perception of yourself that you then had to sort of return back from? Um, Or did you kind of, yeah. I had to learn how to be like, feel beautiful again. Yeah. Like I had to learn how to have confidence again. Like I basically had to relearn this idea of what it meant to me to be a woman. I had to take this dream that I've had since I was a kid, since I was 12, entirely repurpose it into something Mm -hmm. that still serves me. I had to learn how to be willing for people to walk out of my life once they know this about me. I've had to learn how to people watch people gaslight me and tell me that I'm crazy and that I don't know how to process my feelings around it and that it, it affects my relationships and being able to get close all the time. Yeah, it fucking does. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it does. Like, I'm not God. I'm yeah. not. And I think that like, it's ultimately taken me so much time to build myself to a place where if you want to leave my life, go ahead. I've been alone. I know what it feels like to be deeply, deeply, deeply alone. Like I don't need anybody's help in that way. Mm. But now I've gotten myself to a place where I value people around me and I value people demanding things from me and being able to be like oh like this really hurt my feelings or like I really need you right now because it gives me an opportunity to offer that same thing that a lot of people feel like is too much for me to ask for right I'm sure a lot of people I'm sure you've experienced a lot of people feeling like they have to walk on eggshells around you or treat you in a way that's like so 
kind of precious and careful. Um, and I can't imagine as like a strong 25 year old woman that that, like, I'm sure it must be just, it, it must feel like another sort of cage in a way. Totally. Most, most of my relationships, it, it, it's been situations where people are like, I just feel like I have to get exactly that walk around eggshells with you or like, this is too much or like your processes are too much or you communicating these things are too much to the point where like I'll be communicating as much as I possibly can as much as I can as much as I'm comfortable with to when if somebody's open to that eventually it becomes like if I do disconnect what's wrong what's happening Mm -hmm. I don't want to if I say like I don't want to go there like, I don't want to, there's, it's not necessary. I don't want to go there. They're like, well, you have to. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. I don't. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure too, like, obviously where this, I very much know what it feels like to be a 25 year old woman. Like there's, it's an emotional roller coaster. I mean, every period in your life, but I think where we're at is really tough, especially in this day and age. But I'm sure like for me, when I have a, random mood swing every one of my friends is like oh, another one like it's of course like I had two yesterday I'm sure for you it gets treated a lot differently where they're like oh no like she's been triggered this is horrible she's like there's something deeply like horribly wrong and I'm sure like yeah sometimes there definitely is like I'm sure there's a lot of what you experience that is yet to be processed but I'm sure a lot of like everything in its due time but it doesn't mean that every emotion that you have is some like deep-seated like horrific experience like visceral experience you're having that always connects back to what you have been through in that one specific instance yeah I mean it's exactly that and I also think that like though I'm not being vocal about names at this very time Mm -hmm. I will say that it's really hard to have somebody who's Cases are so public, you can't Mm -hmm. escape from it. You can't escape from people posting memes about it and mocking it and and this, like, so if I see a meme, yeah. If sometimes, like, I don't don't wanna see my fucking pedophile at all. Yeah, yeah. I don't care if it's a joke. I don't want to see it. So of course it has like my, I react and I, it takes a lot of work to like get myself out of that space. And I think that I, in those cases, know how to turn my brain off and be Mm -hmm. like, I'm gonna watch a movie or like, I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna think about it. But of course there's like a disconnect that happens because I'm like, okay, let me just watch my movie. And then the other person is like sitting next to me being like, like anal- analyzing every single gesture I make or like facial expression yeah. or like, God forbid I shed a tear every once in a while. Like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like I was ne- going to ask about, cause it is so sort of widely circulated everything and like every stage, like it was widely circulated like a year ago for one reason. And then now again for another reason. And I'm sure it's just kind of feels endless for you. How do you manage that? And even if like, obviously I'm sure sometimes you can't, but how do you sort of do your best to make it okay for you? That's a good question. Or manageable. I shouldn't say okay, but like, how do you, how do you manage? 
with how sort of like I prevalent it is. I don't usually look at a lot of people's social media. Mm-hmm. Like I'll post what I have to post, but I don't like scroll through stories or like, I just try not to. Um, I also think that taking the power myself and doing things like talking about it, um, writing about it, puts me in a position where if some if I see something, it's less, it has less impact on me. Um, and I also think that um, the harder part is what's happening in media isn't even the thing that's happening. It's mm. not, it's not the scale of things that's happening. That situation didn't affect me. That wasn't my situation. Mm. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much more corrupt that I have already had to prepare myself for this to come back around 10, 15, 20 years later when I'm right. a full fucking adult <laughs> with some information that I'm like, oh my God, see, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that I've just kind of had to accept that like, this is, this is heavy too, but it's part of it is like being in pursuit of trying to take back the thing that was taken from me is not an option. <laughs> right. It's not an option. And I think that volunteering helps me a lot. Um, and honestly, just like stepping into the heaviness, repurposing it and knowing that like people have to know that this is a major, major, major issue. And like, if people like me, who I know exist, I know they're out there. I know that there's other people that have experienced situations like this and here and probably closer than I think. If I, if we sit back and continue to feel like martyrs, the world can't change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Change. We can't like, okay, controversial Imrata's book. Did I like most of it? No. I think that the ways that she played into the system are exactly the reason why people get trafficked because men believe that they're owed women's bodies and that it's an opportunity for the woman. But she said something that really... I feel like probably resonates with so many women with that. Like she said, I cried because I thought I was somebody who didn't deserve to be safe. Mm. Like, holy shit. (laughs) You know, I don't think that women can walk through the world and women trans, uh, gays, like gay people. And I'm sure even at times men, like don't feel like they can come into the world with their hearts on their sleeves and be like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. But it's the evolution of humanity. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I read her book too. And I had um, some mixed feelings about it. Yeah. I think for sure. I think that the thing that really frustrated me about that book is that at no point did she sort of suggest that this isn't the way. And right. crying about this too is it makes me feel like young girls are going to read that, that look up to her 
and they're going to go and do exactly that. And then they're going to end up in a situation like I was in and think that it's okay and never get out. Right. Because you know? they like quote unquote played the system and it was, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's Just probably, it was like, yeah, it was like, I'm sure the way that you like, I'm sure the, the version of you that would have resonated with that book was the version of you that was go at first moved to New York. And the one, the version of you that was in the bathroom saying, this is the dream, I'm sure is the version of you that resonated with the book. And then you have the flip side of it, which was what you experienced, like the worst case scenario of you just like gaming the system, quote unquote, wasn't what happened. Your life became in, in danger. So it's not like a fun, like you can game the system and like deal with the way that men objectify your body, but you're like a player and you're getting money out of it and making a living. Like it can be life-threatening, obviously. Yeah. So no point was it said like, this is not the way. Mm -hmm. And it also, I read something else not to like completely spend a ton of time like bashing (laughs) Emily's book, but it also, (laughs) which is something- No, which is what something that you said is that it discredits the way that it made other girls feel like Mm -hmm. it completely discredited like or didn't bring up, which is kind of a form of discrediting like all of the women that compare their bodies to someone like hers on a daily basis. And it's like, right, Emily, you were able to sort of quote unquote, like game the system and like get your bag like because you were born with like a body that looks like it was carved by like Adonis but like most 99.9999 affinity nine percent of us don't have that and like we don't like this is not like what about all of us like what about all of us like you're completely discrediting like any comparison that's happening like good for you being able to like overcome this objectification but like what like it's kind of not believable um because it 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 doesn't acknowledge like the rest of the women and their perspectives on this planet yeah it's also like at one point she literally says like I read my reddit reviews and like sometimes I wonder if I am the most beautiful person in the world it's like okay wait hold on can we just like yeah. You just like take a step back and think about this for a second because that's a statement. But I think that like, I don't know, it really, really scares me and it scares me for our industry and it scares me for all of the little girls who look up to these like big public figures that that's normal, that it's okay to, to be so estranged with your body and to just give yourself out and to entirely like objectify yourself and think that like, that's the way. And somebody, one of my friends asked me, I was talking about it with them. They were like, the real question is, is do you think she would do the same thing she did all over again? And the answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she even says it in the book that she would do it again. I'm pretty sure unless I read wrong. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm pretty sure she might actually might have where it's like, somebody like me would I do it the same hell no hell no I would have just like I would have been fine I would have become a librarian 
I would have realized that I'm, I'm, I'm more intellectual than my beauty. And I would have segued probably into something else. But now that I didn't have what I wanted, I'm like, I'm gonna get it. And that's the only option. Yeah. So you froze for a second. But I think that what you had said is that if you were given the choice to do to kind of repeat your actions, you would not have. Yeah. Which is, it's amazing to hear you say that because I, I think a lot of people who I've listened to interviews with and have I mean, spoken to less, but a lot of the time, I think people that have had like an extremely traumatic life experience, like you've had, and there's, they've, they're so like, do you regret it? Do you have any regrets? And a lot of the time, I think the quote more triumphant response is like, absolutely no regrets. And you hear that. So it's, it's very refreshing and very um, understandable to hear you say like absolutely I have a ton of regret and I would not repeat the same like it is it's very real to hear that because a lot of women and I'm sure you've heard it too kind of go back and say like never no regrets like I am proud of every decision it's like it's that's toxic positivity to me like for example that that question where people will be like if you could change anything about your life what would you change and I'd be like oh girl (laughs) (laughs) I got a whole like list of things, you know. Right? Don't you hear a lot of people go like nothing? And yeah. you're like, really, really? Like, hmm. okay, yeah, no, I would change a whole lot of things. Hmm. A whole lot of things. And has that like has that feeling and that kind of sense of like regret? Um, does it ever become like very overwhelming for you? It was something that I worked a lot through in therapy is I, at some point, told myself that what happened to me was my fault. You did. And yeah, definitely. Because I feel like there's a lot of, like, for example, all of the things that you see where it's like, you manifest everything that happens in your life. And it's like, well, what What was I putting out exactly? Because my pursuit, I thought, was entirely innocent. Like definitely wasn't yeah. trying to do that. And I think that like, again, toxic positivity is such a thing. It comes down to like, I had to do, and still to this day, like if somebody tells me something is my fault, I am the first one to be like, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm now still having to learn that if somebody says like, oh, well, like you did this to be able to take a step back and be like, huh is that how, like, is that true? Like, or like be more inquisitive to like ask questions so that I can sort of like form my own opinion about what happened instead of just being like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I did that to you. Especially yeah. once people know my story, they know that it's easy for things, to, for me to take on things being my fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the the manifestation thing I hear a lot of I mean obviously like I live in LA I'm in like the wellness world so many people are like everything everything happens for a reason everything is manifested and I'm like that seems like something that works if you can buy all of your meals at Erewhon and like do an infrared sauna every day then I think in that situation like telling yourself everything happens for a reason is like it's like a pretty makes things okay but like then I think about the rest of the world and I'm like, I don't think that that would fly. <laughs> like, I don't think that that's a very, um, 
healthy train of thought for a lot for most of the world I think if they were told like oh everything is manifested it's all for a reason they feel like well then what the fuck is this (laughs) what kind of like a demon was I in the past life that this is my situation that was meant for me like are you kidding yeah I think that what I the way that I kind of had to reframe it is like okay this happened or manifested now I apply the reason Mm -hmm. I apply the reason I make it something that I either advocate for or I allow to be this thing that follows me I I I I have a reason I have a purpose could have done without it but I guess now this is part of the reason you know Mm. yeah that's amazing that's a beautiful way of of sort of framing it and and not making sense of it but like applying your experience to and it's taking control it's being able to be like okay this thing happened to me I can't control what happened but I can control my reaction to what happened Mm -hmm. and sometimes I can't even do that which is fine. It's totally <laughs> fine. I'm very healthy. Allowing myself the freedom to be explosive. I'm I'm not afraid to make shit messy anymore. Yeah. I'm not afraid to if if I get broken up with to be like fuck you I hate you bye don't care yeah. bye talk about yeah. me talk about me all you want talk about me all you want because if you don't know me. If you don't know me, everything that you're saying is probably just like absolutely entirely incorrect. Yeah. So and, you, know. you, um, you had said kind of earlier that it took you a while to feel like to convince yourself and to understand that you're beautiful. Mm-hmm. How do you, what has that process been like for you? And how do you continue to do that? mirror meditation Mm. it's so uncomfortable okay this is probably tmi but i don't even care like nothing is tmi on this podcast okay you can talk about anything (laughs) with like like sex trauma Mm -hmm. getting in front of a mirror naked and masturbating and being like this is so uncomfortable like oh my god this is so uncomfortable And then finally, like, kind of like getting to a place where you're like, okay, I feel comfortable doing this. And then like, not making it a thing unless, I mean, even if you wanted to make it a thing, yeah, sure. Whatever. Masturbate in the mirror. Great. But I think that sounds sounds awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's not (laughs) honestly sounds great. Yeah. I would say try it (laughs) and try it. Um, I think that like that to me really helped me. And even like now, just like sitting in front of the mirror naked and just being like, hey, you, <laughs> you, the thing that's moved me through space this entire time, like you're, do- you're doing it. <laughs> like, look at mm-hmm. you. You're like, and I always like, I, I t- verbally talk out loud, like, wow, you're so beautiful. Look at you. Like you're, you're thriving. And if anybody thinks I'm cocky, because of that, like, 
girl, go look in the mirror and start talking to oh, you. It's amazing. It's amazing. I actually, I resonate with that so much. I honestly still do it, but during like some of the darker times in my relationship with my body, something that helped me so much is I would in the morning, first thing, if I didn't sleep naked, I would get naked. I would sit in front of my mirror and I would touch every point of my body, like from my t- tip of my toes to the top of my head. And I would tell out loud, I would say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I would tell every part of my body that I loved it. And then I would hug my body and it helped me so much. I think it's so important to look at yourself in the mirror and out loud, tell yourself that you're beautiful and amazing and you love yourself. I agree. And I think so that, important. I think the other thing that's really hard to navigate sometimes is like, I feel like as a model, you're not allowed to be insecure. <laughs> you know, you're not allowed the freedom to be like, oh, I kind of feel like shit today. And people will be like, oh, shut up. Like, yeah. You're, you literally get paid to get to be pretty. And it's like, okay, I guess I'll just, you know, fuck off. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know but then at the same time it's like yeah you're right (laughs) like you are right like this is definitely what I do and like I it kind of defeats the purpose of me sitting in the mirror and telling myself I think I'm beautiful to like then turn around and be like I feel ugly today so I've kind of like also reframed the language with myself where it's like if I'm like oh I feel ugly today it's like well what are you really feeling are you feeling bloated are you feeling dehydrated do you maybe need yeah. to like, take a bath? Like what can you give to yourself? And I think something recently that keeps coming up and it's so frustrating to me because now that I finally am fully embodied, I like am working out so much and I'm eating healthy and taking care of myself and like doing these things that make me feel good. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, I'm getting DMs saying like, hey, I'm a little worried about you. You've dropped a lot of weight lately like, are you okay? And I'm like, mm-hmm. the next time that somebody comments on my body, <laughs> <laughs> haven't we learned? Like, God forbid I change, like, yeah, evolve yeah. and like feel comfortable with myself. Anything that you do is going to be judged nowadays. Oh my God. Completely. Completely. That the best thing you can do is just be like, Hey, you in the mirror, you're my homie. And we're in this together. And like, since the beginning, it's been me and you (laughs) and that's it. I love hearing that um, when you have those moments of going like, I feel like shit, I'm, and then checking in going like, am I bloated? Am I this? Like what's going on? And then asking yourself, like, what do I need to give myself to make it feel better as someone that like, I've dealt with an eating disorder for many, many years. I know you have as well as you've shared a big thing for me for a lot for a lot of that experience was waking up feeling a certain way, not feeling like myself, feeling like my body wasn't mine, really feeling like I had so many judgments to make and then going, what can I deprive myself of to fix it? What food can I not give myself? What thing do I like deprive myself of to like essentially in one way or another starve my way into feeling more comfortable with myself and now I'm in a place where I wake up sometimes I feel crazy I'm like puffy or whatever and it's it the question is what can I give myself to make my body happier and to make myself happier and to nourish myself so that perspective of giving rather than depriving yourself to 
to get yourself to a better place, I think is, is so evolved and incredible considering the patterns that we've, that we've had with our, with our bodies, um, which I would. Sometimes that's literally like, I'm like, Oh, I feel ugly. I want McDonald's. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, there you go. It's amazing. I want Taco Bell and it's yeah. like, okay, great. Like if that's really what you want, but like ask yourself first, like once I do this thing, is that going to make me happy or feel worse? Right. Right. If you think it'll make you happy, literally like get all of the tacos, like eat an entire <laughs> but I'm like, I totally go there all the time. And that's the thing is people say it's like, oh, balance, balance, balance. It actually is balance. You eating an entire pizza can be healthy. Totally. What anybody says. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yes. would, do it, I would do it in front of an audience. Like, <laughs> in all thought that it was unhealthy I'd be like yeah I'm about to eat this entire pizza in front of you and I'm gonna feel great <laughs> while I do it because I don't have the time to feel stuck anymore yeah yeah that freedom is like the ultimate ultimate feeling of balance considering the levels of the depths of like captivity that you felt I'm sure that like if things like that are gonna like boost your feeling of like freedom it's like the ultimate balance that you're finding yeah. Um, and then lastly, I just want to ask you, you've mentioned a few times feeling like fully embodied now, and that's such a beautiful thing to hear. And I'm just, I want to know what that means to you, like how you would define that feeling. I, I think that it starts first and foremost that I, whenever I walk into a room or I walk through space and somebody looks at me and perceives me, I know that it doesn't change me. Hmm. It doesn't change me if it doesn't matter. If I go into a casting and somebody look, like, looks at me, takes a picture, they don't know anything about me. They can form an entire opinion about who I am. They don't know me. They don't know me. They don't know what I've been through. And they don't know how fucking hard I work. And I don't need to justify anything to anybody anymore. I don't need to justify myself. I, I am myself. Nobody is better at me being, at being me than me. So mm-hmm. like, I think that like staying embodied to me means like, I mean, I love, I think working out is the, the thing for me. And I change it all the time. Kickboxing, Pilates, yoga, running, weights, cardio. Like, and I listen to my body to where like, if I lift up a weight and my body's like, girl, what the fuck are you doing right now? I stop. Yeah. Yeah. I, do, I stop and I'm like, okay, let's do something else then, you know? And I think that just like through healing, I've, I've, I'm not like, I'm not done at all. I'm not done at all. It's still so hard. And I spend like consciously most of my time alone because like, it's so hard sometimes, but mm. I've found my ways that embody me and make me feel closer to myself. And like it in doing that, it's put people around me that are doing the same for themselves. That I think that I trust their perspective of me enough to know that 
any, anything that anybody else says doesn't matter to me <laughs> because these people know me. <laughs> yeah. And like my family loves me whenever I go home. If I tell, like I told my mom, like, oh, uh, what, what, was the sh- what was the shoot? Oh, I just shot um, Vogue or whatever. My grandmother goes, what's that? You know, and you're like, this lady just loves me. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like literally just that. She just loves me. And I think that like knowing that that exists kind of like makes you expect that from everybody else that's in your life. <laughs> completely, completely. Well, you deserve every bit of that. I'm completely obsessed with you. I'm not even kidding. You're just the most radiant human being. And I cannot wait for you to come back to LA because I would love to see you in real life immediately. Um, You're absolutely amazing. And, and thank you so much for, for being so honest and, and open and just radiant and exactly who you are. It's so beautiful. And I'm in such admiration of you. It's amazing. I appreciate that and hope that this isn't too much for your audience. As Oh, no. This has just been a total... Pr- I mean, your story is... It's, it's not... It's amazing. And anyone who gets to hear it is... It's, a, a, it's an amazing thing for, for anyone who's going to listen. So, thank you. Yeah. <laughs>